Well, we're going to start a mini, just a mini-series today. Just when I say mini, I mean two uh, Christmas sermons. Next week is the kids' play, so you will have them as your sermon. And you know what? Through their little play, they can share the gospel just as well as anybody else. And so we encourage you, all of your family and friends, bring them. What are they going to do? Say no to your grandkids or to your kids? They'll come for that. They're not going to come for me, but they'll come for the kids. So invite them and pray for them that when they get here, their hearts will be open to what the kids are going to share. And what's the Bible say? Unless we come to Jesus as a little child, the same faith as these kids have. You talk to them, and it's just like it's normal. Everything that God says in his word is like normal. Of course God answers prayer. Of course God did this. Until they get too old to try to instill doubt in them. They have simple faith. And we want them to relay that to the adults that are here. So pray for them. Pray for the kids. Pray for the the visitors that I know all of you are going to invite to that. So, Well, before we start, let's pray for God's word this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you that your word is true. And we thank you, Lord, that your word applies to each one of us. And I pray as we talk into, speak into your word this morning, I pray that your anointing would be upon your words, that you, they'd come across in power and authority, not because of me, but because you are behind them all. This is your time, Lord. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, sometimes you get caught up in the busyness of Christmas. I said to someone this morning, I love Christmas, but I'm almost glad when it's over. Why? Because We get focused on all the things we have to do and we forget about why we celebrate Christmas. Do we focus on the birth of Jesus? And do we think about what happened up until that day? You know, it just wasn't Jesus was born, that's it. There's a whole process up to that point and beyond that point that we're gonna look at a little bit today. There were events and there were people that were affected way before the birth of Christ. Now, we're going to look at one of those lives today and one of those lives in two weeks from now. Today, we're going to look at Joseph, and then we'll look at Mary in two weeks. I have a short video, kind of a, a catchphrase for this, this sermon series. There were 14 generations between Father Abraham and King David, 14 more generations between David and the Babylonian exile. And 14 generations later, the great king would be born. A 2,000-year lineage comprised of slaves and kings, heroes and adulterers, prophets and prostitutes. They were the faithful and the faithless. So what kind of king would this be? While many dreamed of the day this king would come, it began as a real-life nightmare for one man. A good man, with God's lot cast upon him. Joseph. Joseph. I promise you, Joseph, I am telling you the truth. 
I'm not saying you don't believe it. I'm just saying... I don't know if I do. So, what are you saying? She's pregnant! I haven't been with her! The baby's not mine! Take Mary as your wife. I can't do this! I don't... I don't want to hurt her. But I... I can't. Joseph, you are a descendant of David. Your ancestors have taken great steps of faith, and now it is time for you to step out. Take Mary as your wife. But the baby is... What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It is prophecy fulfilled. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us. God with us. Emmanuel. Messiah. dream, a heavenly visitation, and what was distressing became a blessing, a blessing that would challenge Joseph's faith, demand every ounce of his character, and forever alter the course of his life and yours. God with us. What kind of king would this be? You know, we talk a lot about Mary. Did you ever think about Joseph? He's not talked about much in the Bible. A lot of folks believe he died early on. He wasn't mentioned at the cross when Jesus was crucified like, like Mary was. And most believe that Jesus died before Jesus even began his 30 years of ministry, or his ministry at 30 years old. We're going to look at his life, and I'm going to ask ourselves, how would you have reacted if you were Joseph? And how does Joseph's life speak to you today? How does it challenge me? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Now, I'm not going to read these genealogies. How many of you read them, or how many of you skip over them? Come on, be honest. Between them and the Old Testament genealogies, you just kind of, well, if you recall your Old Testament history, hereditary, heredity plays a vital role in the position of a person. In other words, to be a priest, you've got to be a Levite. And you've got to prove that you're from the tribe of Levi. To be a king from David's line, the man had to prove that he was David's descendant. And since the Messiah was to come from, quote, the line of David, 
Joseph had to prove that he was from the line of David. Jeremiah 23, 5 says, The day are co- days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. So we need to know that Jesus was actually from David's line. If you read the account of Luke, both genealogies go back to the same point. Even though Joseph wasn't his natural father, he was in the Davidic line. Now, if you remember, this is getting a little deep here. After Israel and Judah fell to Assyria and Babylon, God told, I think it was Zedekiah, that nobody is going to reign, nobody in your line is going to reign anymore from that line. In other words, any male from that line is not going to be king. Well, that would have excluded Joseph being, from being the natural father. But since he wasn't the natural father, his line did go back to David, and God was a natural father, so he was exactly who God planned him to be. Luke's gospel shows that Mary, who was Jesus' natural mother, was also from, from David's line as well. And Matthew makes it clear that Joseph was not his natural father. Every line in those genealogies states that, you know, this guy beget that guy, beget that guy, or depending on your translation, you know, became the father of, became the father of, except for Joseph. Matthew 1.16 says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, not the father of Jesus, he was the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called the Christ. It did not say, Joseph became the father of Jesus. It refers to him as being married, but not to him being the father. Now that his, now that his rightful position as foster father, as one commentary says, was established. So he is the guy that God picked to be in this position. Now, why did God do that? Why Joseph? Well, I believe it's because of his character. What kind of guy was Joseph? So this, since this lesson is about Joseph, these characteristics would apply to everyone. When we read these characteristics, ask yourself, if this was 2,000 years ago, would I qualify to be in this position? Do I have the same characteristics as Joseph had? Now, if you look at the Old Testament Joseph in Egypt, my old pastor used to say, if you can't be like Jesus, because it's impossible to be perfect like Jesus. Be like Joseph in the Old Testament. He was, you know, pretty much perfect. Be like him. And so we want to be like this Joseph as well. Matthew 1.19 says, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. So the first characteristics is he was righteous. If God were to write this account about you, would he refer to you as righteous? Man or woman, would he say, you are a righteous person? Do your coworkers and your friends consider you a righteous person? When you're around them and they do things that you know they shouldn't be doing, do they recognize that you're a Christian and say, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be saying that because you, I know you don't? Does your family think you're righteous? Do you behave differently in church than you do on the job or at home? More importantly, does God think you're righteous? Not perfect, but righteous. 
Joseph was chosen not only because of his lineage, but because of this, his righteousness. How many here want to be used by God in some manner? I think all of us want to be used in some, in some way. God picks people who aren't perfect, but they're righteous in God's eyes. Now, Joseph wasn't even in the starring role. Jesus was obviously the star. Mary was her, his co-star. But Joseph, very little is written about him, as we mentioned earlier. I think he was long gone, shortly thereafter it. As Christians, do we always need to be the center of attention? Or can we be the person in the background that no one gets credit for or very little is talked about? Are you still righteous? Even if no one recognizes you, are you righteous before God? There are multitudes of books written about the importance of being a good father and the implications for your children if you're not. How many listened to Dobson when he was on the air? I think he's still on, but he was on Focus on the Family. Always, always focusing upon the father and his role. So Joseph was Jesus' natural father, and he was there to instruct him, to encourage him, to raise him up. And even though Jesus was the Messiah, he had to still fulfill all the Old Testament laws. And Joseph was the dad who made him do that. He had to make him do all those things. Joseph the father went to all the Passovers with Jesus, all the feasts. Joseph's adherence to the law helped him to assure that Jesus fulfilled it. Because he was still a child, still a kid, still under his parents' tutelage. Joseph the father encouraged and instructed Jesus when he was a baby. And Joseph didn't let Jesus choose his own faith when he got older. How many have heard that? I'm not going to force us on my kids. I'm going to let them choose whatever they want when they get older. Poppycock. No. From the beginning, Joseph taught him the laws of God. As parents or as fathers of young kids, we don't let them choose everything they want to choose for themselves. How many do that? Let your kids choose whatever they want to do. If they did, what would they eat? Candy? Dry cereal? I, we've, my daughter bought a box of Fruit Loops with marshmallows. It's like 300% sugar. And they, they would love to have that every morning. Do you do that as a parent? Of course not. We don't let them choose certain things for themselves. If we let them choose anything they wanted to, no child would ever go to school. They would never eat anything other than junk food and they would play video games until they passed out. We know what we have to make them do is something that they may not want to do. And I believe the, the same philosophy should hold for the things of God as well. One of those being church. If you won't let your child miss school because they don't feel like going or they're too tired, you shouldn't let that also keep them from church. Wah, wah, if they're too tired. Our, our rule was unless you're burning up or throwing up, you were going to school. And church. 
So you better be hurling in the morning if you think you're going to miss church. Or you better be steam coming from your head from a burning up fever or you're going to church. Because we do that for school and we do it for sports. If you make your kids wake up early for school, get them up early for church. If you get them up early for sports, get them up early for church. All right, I'll put my soapbox away now. We'll notice that this one characteristic of his righteousness will play into all the other characteristics. The second characteristic, not only is he righteous, he is merciful. Verse 19 in Matthew 1. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her privately. Now, you saw the video. Can you imagine the, the doubt and disappointment and heartache that Joseph's feeling? How would you feel if you found that same thing out a week before your wedding? And then she says it was God. I would venture to say that one of our reaction would be anger. Right? Disappointment. And maybe you want to hurt them like they hurt you. Joseph could have vented his anger with the law. What was the law? What was the Jewish penalty for adultery? Leviticus 20.10. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife. Now, in the Old Testament, the wedding ceremony was just the final. You were considered married if you were betrothed in the Old Testament. So as if he has adultery with another man's wife, the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress, what must be put to death. If Joseph announced this to everyone, especially the Pharisees, what do you think they would have done? The law would have mandated that they be stoned. And was he within his right to do this? Well, according to Old Testament law, yeah, he was. But he was merciful. Can you explain a pregnancy without Joseph being the father? The only logical assumption was adultery. And everyone would have believed it. And everyone would have done what the law said to do. But Joseph, because he understood the spirit of the law, showed mercy. James 2.13 says, mercy triumphs over judgment. How do you react when you've been wronged? severely do you have the mercy or do you have the judgment do you want vengeance or do you want to show them grace maybe you're in a relationship where one person appears to have wronged the other and all evidence points to it being true and maybe it is true you have the option to retaliate maybe it's legitimate but maybe you should consider mercy instead because things may not always appear as we see them. Matthew 1.20 says, but after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So if he just shared this with the world, the world would have told him what to do. Act according to the law. Vengeance. Judgment. God's word to him was just the opposite of what the world would have told him to do. 
How often do you encounter worldly situations and the world will respond in one way, but you know the Christian response is just the opposite? That everyone looking at you, you do something that God wants you to do, think you're crazy. But you know God's doing it, God's word says to do it. And Joseph listened to God's word in spite of everything he saw. There's a, there's a, a sentence or a phrase that says, faith is believing in spite of evidence. But actually, it should be faith is doing in spite of consequences. Think about that. If God calls you to do something, it doesn't matter what the consequences will be. We should do it. And maybe we don't understand it, and maybe everyone else around us won't understand it. But if you know God's word says it, that's what we do. Do we know that when God's word speaks to a situation that there is a meaning and purpose behind it? When God tells us to do something that we don't quite understand, it doesn't matter that we don't understand it. God has a meaning and purpose behind what he says. And here the angel explains to Joseph what's going on in Matthew 1. and says, she will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't always get a dream explaining what God's doing. <laughs> but God's word tells us there's a plan and a purpose behind whatever happens. Romans 8:28, all things work together for good. Right? So whatever happens, there's a purpose and plan that God is using to bring that around for our good. God's word tells us there's a plan and a purpose behind everything that he does. Matthew 1.24 says, When Joseph woke up, he, w- he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife. Joseph obeyed God instantly. He didn't try to reason it out. He didn't try to think it out. He didn't try to pray about it. How many have used that phrase before? When you know God's trying to tell you to do something, your, your response is, let me pray about that. No. <laughs> There's no praying about certain things. When God's word is plain, there's no praying about that. You just go ahead and do it instantly. Don't try to apply the world's information or the world's knowledge or what the world thinks to it. Do what God says to do when God says to do it. Then there's always the expression, well, that doesn't really apply to me. That, you know, God's speaking to somebody else about that, not necessarily me. People have said this to me, and you, you want to laugh when they say this, but they're serious when they say it. Me and Jesus have an understanding. How many have heard that phrase? Or here's one that sometimes we use, God knows my heart. Well, what's the Bible say about your heart? It's desperately wicked. So yeah, God knows your heart, and your heart's desperately wicked. Or my situation's different. God, God would never want me to be sad or upset about something. God, you know, he always wants me to be happy. How many have thought that? God's word doesn't say we're going to be happy all the time. We'll be joyful. It doesn't promise us that we will, we will be happy all the time. Joseph didn't question what God said. He simply obeyed it. And sometimes we have to look beyond what we visually see to do what God tells us to do, in spite of what everyone else around us may think. 
And are we that quick to do it? And you know what? Joseph didn't care what other people thought. Since he was marrying a pregnant fiance, he was basically telling the world the baby was his. This would tell everyone that they were impure on their wedding day. Didn't care. Joseph was willing to accept the stigma that would have been given to them by to him by those who knew what was going on. And he did it because God told him to do it. There may be things that God calls us to do that gives us a stigma with the world, that people think we're crazy or dumb or whatever the case might be. And we're willing to accept that because we're righteous and we have mercy and we're doing what God calls us to do. It doesn't matter what people think of us as long as we are right before God. Joseph's obedient and selfless actions provided Mary and the baby with legitimacy, respectability, and protection. Otherwise, if he'd have left, she'd have been a single mom. And in the Old Testament, in New Testament times, single, single moms were destitute. Nobody cared for them. And she might have even been stoned because she wasn't married. Now, the Old Testament had provision for that, Many verses talked about single parents, single moms, and, and poor. But they weren't doing it. The Jewish law, they weren't doing it. Do we care more about what others think than about doing the right thing? Matthew one twenty five goes on and says, But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Sometimes God withholds things from us for a time for our good and for the good of what his ultimate plan is going to be. Sometimes God tells us to wait for something that he's already promised us he's gonna give us. How many have had to wait for things for God? When we pray, a lot of times the answers are yes, no problem, no, you can't have it, and wait. When you have kids and they want everything instantly, what do you tell them? Wait. We used to tell our kids, if you want an answer now, the answer is no. But if you can wait for an answer, it might be yes. They hated that. But it stopped them from asking the question at that moment. God makes us wait to see how patient and how willing we are to trust him for it. Now, not only was the baby not his, Joseph now had to wait to sleep with his wife, all right? These guys are both righteous. Obviously, she's a virgin, and I'm pretty sure if God chose him, he would be a virgin too if he followed the Old Testament laws. And I'm sure honeymoons back then aren't much different than they are today. Get rid of the guests, honey, let's go home, right? So not only does he not have a honeymoon night, he has to wait nine more months And then, after that, he has to wait for her to heal. And then she was nursing the baby. So he's got a good year, at least, before anything happens on his behalf. And I think Joseph was exhibiting great self-control, one of the fruit of the Spirit. 
Most commentaries call this self-control, I call it long-suffering. If Joseph did not exhibit this self-control, how would that have affected God's prophecy? Because the Bible says Mary was a virgin when the child was born, not when it was conceived. So that means she had to be a virgin for the next nine months. So that meant no relationship with them. When God calls us to wait on something, such as sex or anything else, there's a perfect purpose and plan behind it. And as Christians, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit and have self-control and wait for Jesus to say when. God promised Abraham and Sarah a baby. But what happened? They waited, waited. Nothing happened, so they tried to help God out with that. And we know what happened with that. They were impatient with God's timing. God's timing is perfect. And in today's society, it seems like everyone is sleeping with everyone before marriage. And that's the world's thought. But the Bible has different rules for that. And we have to wait for what God says to wait for. First, uh, First Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Lamentations 3.25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. We are not very good at waiting. I mean, how many have done Christmas shopping actually in a store as opposed to online? Because online, it's instant. You can order it in five seconds and you're ready to go. Everything, we were in the grocery store the other day and there's a, it's amazing how many things are microwavable. I mean, dinner, whole dinners are just microwavable. Everybody wants it yesterday. And I think God wants us to develop a time that we wait and have patience for what God wants to do. As Christmas approaches, it's right to focus on Jesus at this time. But it shouldn't be the only time we focus on him. And it's also right to focus on those who played an important part in bringing the Savior to us. Joseph was perfect, or Jesus was perfect. And since none of us are, let's look to people like Joseph, who weren't perfect, but who has the qualities that God wants each one of us to have. Joseph was righteous, merciful, obedient to God, humble, self-controlled, pure, careful to keep God's laws. Does that describe us? Me? If someone were to ask your friends and your family, people you know, would they say those same things about you? God's plan and purpose always involves people. Joseph was an ordinary guy who was living a righteous life not perfect, no notoriety, no fame for him, hardly any mention in God's word about him, but his devotion to God was what God used to bring about and train up the Messiah. You never know 
who we are able to influence for the kingdom of God. Anybody remember Billy Graham's Sunday school teacher's name? That's how he got saved in a Sunday school class. His teacher led him to the Lord. No one knows who that is. I'm sure you can Google it and find out. But it doesn't come right to your lips. Anybody know who D.L. Moody was before he got saved? He was a shoe salesman. Anybody know who led him to the Lord? No. God doesn't need famous people, extraordinary people. God chooses to use everyday people living in everyday life. You may work to, to the next you may work next to the next Billy Graham. You may teach downstairs all the kids that are there. Who knows what God's gonna who God's gonna raise up from those kids that are down there or in the youth group? There's nothing stopping God from using everyday people here to do tremendous things. And sometimes we think, well, it's just me. I, I, I can't, you know, who am I? The Bible says, who am I, Lord, that, you know, that you consider me? God uses everyday people to do great things. God chose Joseph to be a vital part of Jesus' life and ministry. He was a father. He trained his son as long as he was alive. He trained him to be what he needed to be. And Joseph, in the grand scheme of things, was just like everybody else. And you know what? We're just like anybody else. Rapture hasn't happened yet. Still work to do. Still lives that we know that aren't Christian. That if the rapture happens, we'll be here for the tribulation. What's God calling each one of us to do? God can choose to use you. God can choose to use this church to do something so awesome that everyone's going to stand up and take notice. But they're going to notice what God has done because it, it would have been a miracle. What Joseph experienced was God doing a miracle in his presence and really through nothing that Joseph did other than living a righteous life. Can you imagine what God wants to do through each one of us here? Just because we're living a righteous life, we can expect to see a miracle happen in front of us. The question is, are we ready for that? I mean, are we really ready for that? Can you imagine the welcome that Joseph received in heaven? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter on in. What is our welcome going to be when we get there? Is it going to be, well done, you've completed everything I've asked you to do, come on in? Or in 1 Corinthians 3, all the things we do, the Bible says, can be wood, hay, and stubble, get burned up. So when you get to heaven, they're going to say, so what exactly did you do? You're in, but uh, what did you do when you were down there? I want to be the one that says, hey, good job. Welcome in. If nobody else sees what I do, I want God to see what I do. And that's the way all of us should be. No matter who sees me, no matter what happens, I want God to be pleased with what I'm doing. And that should be everyone's prayer, everyone's desire. Because that time is coming quicker than we think. 
Would you stand as we close this morning? Would you close your eyes, bow your heads for a moment? This is Christmas time, and every study shows us that people's hearts and their minds get focused on things of God more so at this time of the year than any other time. And that's a good thing. That also gives each one of us opportunity to capitalize on that in people's lives. People have a short window of opportunity when situations occur in their life and whether it's Christmas or a life event, for a brief amount of time, people are thinking about eternity, thinking about God, thinking about what happens after they die. And God allows us to be in the presence of those people at those times. And God wants to use us in those times to tell them the answers to the questions they might have. The Bible tells us to study or show yourselves approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but who rightly divides a word of truth. It also tells us, be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you of the hope you have within. Every one of us has the hope. And every one of us should be able to give an answer to the people who have questions about that hope. We don't have to be theologians or scholars. You simply have to be available. Joseph was a carpenter. Nothing special, wasn't a Pharisee, wasn't a scribe, wasn't any, wasn't a priest, wasn't anything else. He's just a carpenter. And in that time, that was kind of a low scale. But God used him not because of his occupation, but because of his righteousness and his mercy and his availability. Next few weeks, a lot of us will be shopping, running into people. Two things, I want us to continue to focus on why we do it. We celebrate Jesus. But secondly, while you're out, have an opportunity to share why we do it with those we run into. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never had that opportunity. You can't look back at a time in your life where you said, you know, I know I'm a sinner and I need Jesus to forgive me of my sin. Bible says in Romans, we're all, we've all sinned, we all fall short of God's expectation. The Bible also tells us the wages of those sins is death. In other words, we deserve the punishment that Jesus got. And we deserve eternal separation from God. But the Bible also says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. In other words, Jesus paid the price already, but we have to accept it. The Bible says as many as receive him, not know about him, not think about him, not hear about him, as many as receive him, 
To those he gave the authority to be called children of God. The Bible tells us that we come back to a point in our life, we can look back to a certain day. We may not remember the exact date, but you know that there's a time in your life where you bowed your knee before God and said, yes, Lord, I need Jesus to forgive me of my sin. Now, if you have not done that or you are unsure about your position, the Bible says these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. If you've never done that or you can't look back at a time in your life where you said that prayer or you bowed that knee or you're really not sure about what's going to happen to you when you die, then this is the day for you. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week, today. So if you're here and you've never really done that and you're not sure, but you want to have that relationship with God, you want Jesus to come in and wipe you clean, wipe your slate clean of all your sin. Start you out fresh, brand new as a baby. I want you to raise your hand because I want to pray with you and I believe that's why you're here today. Father, I pray for each one of us here that, that you would continue daily to fill us with your Holy Spirit. Your word tells us that we need to be continually filled. It's not just a one-day thing, a once-a-week thing. We need to con be continually filled with your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would help us to live the kind of life that Joseph lived. Help us to be righteous, not perfect, Lord, but righteous. In other words, we, we acknowledge our sin. We come to you, ask for forgiveness of our sin and help ask you to help us not do it again. And your word says if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness and we start with a clean slate again. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to live right. Help us to be merciful to those around us whose lives we may not understand, who may be going through difficult situations and they don't necessarily need judgment, they need God's mercy. Help us to give that to them. And help us to be Jesus to the people we come across. I pray for each family member here, those maybe watching online, that God, you would bless them in a powerful way today. Allow them to really experience the joy that comes from knowing you. The power that comes from being able to hold your hand as we walk through situations in our life that are difficult. Your word tells us that when we go through the fire, you'll be with us. The fire won't consume us. The trial won't consume us. The hardship won't consume us. But God, you will carry us through those. Help us to have the peace that comes from knowing that. That no matter what I face, Jesus, you're already there. And you promised to walk with me. So Lord, I pray your blessings upon each person here. Allow them to experience your joy and your comfort and your acknowledgement that, God, you love us and you care for us more than anything else, Father. You love us. So bless us as we leave today. Help us to keep the main thing, the main thing at Christmas time. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. See you Wednesday night for caroling. We want to leave here right at 630. So if you can be early, that would be great if you're going to ride the van with us.